Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Oh man, look how many people came to first service. That is so awesome. Yes. Thank you guys. Like it, I mean, it really is a big deal because the fact that you're here means there's people that aren't going to leave when they come to second and can't get in. Um, and we're so thankful for that. Um, we were talking before service, and one of the reasons it's so exciting when we gather is because like, you never know when what to everybody else the ordinary day becomes a day where a monument is built. Like, we come and we worship, and we spend time in the presence of the Lord together, but, like, we have no idea what God's doing in people's hearts during those times. We have no idea what's happening during those times, and there's so many stories that we've heard over the years of people who just being in the presence of the Lord and just worshiping Him through that, things were broke off their lives, and they walked out differently than they came in, and that's a day that they look back on, it has so much significance to them. Like, they look back on that day, and they're like, that was the day where this happened. That was the day where God said this. That was the day where I believed this. And, and they get it. It clicks. Whatever it is, just, just they feel the presence of the Lord, and, and they walk out differently than they came. And that day becomes a day that a monument was built in their life. Of That day was when God became this to me. That day is when he did this in my life. And, and, and the crazy thing about those days is so many times, like, to everybody else in the room, it's just a, I mean, and I don't mean this in like a degrading way, it's a normal time of worshiping the Lord. Like we don't, we don't understand what's happening in other people's lives. It's always amazing to get together and worship corporately, but I just believe that during those times when, when our attention is taken off of everything that's screaming for it, because let's be honest, right now, like we live in a world where every single day, like your attention is being demanded. Like, it's, it's not even a choice anymore. Like, you have to have a device where you are constantly available to everybody. And, like, you have, like, I'm, I'm being serious, though. Like, it, you, you've, there's this pull of, like, you have to get back to people in this amount of time, and you have to answer this, and you have to do that. And it's like, and there was a time where when you left the house in the morning, like, where you were, knew, but no, nobody knew. You know, like you were at work and that was it. And then you came home and you dealt with anything that happened from the time you left in the morning until the time that you got home. But your attention was on what you were doing in that moment because you were oblivious to everything else that was going on. And, and I know that there is some good, obviously, in, in the technology we have and, and being able to find out things instantly. But I also know that it becomes this, this battle between the urgent and the important. And everything has this, this insane feeling of urgency. Have to, have to, have to, have to. Like everything has to happen so quickly. And everything, like we, ha- we have to know everything. We can't wonder about anything. Like you, I, we don't even know what it is to be bored anymore. Like literally, you don't have to be bored because you can instantly find something to occupy your attention. And I think when we gather together, one of the greatest things is that our attention is for a time, and, and I would encourage us to do this in our private life, to set aside time where our attention is undivided and it's given to him. Because if, if your greatest time of worship is on a Sunday morning, then you're limited to communing with him at a time and a place, and that's like, that's the old covenant. 
when his presence was inside of an ark, inside of a room, inside of a building. Like we live in a better covenant now where at any moment it can become one of those moments where you give him your attention and your worship and your time. And I'm just like encouraging you guys is something that has, the Lord's been asking of me. It's like, will you make that a priority and carve out that time? You know, like the truth is, is, is in every area of my life, like there's things right now that I'm reprioritizing because I realize I've, I haven't done a good job of making things a priority that should be in some areas. And it's, it's not that the wanting isn't there. It's that it has to go from something you want to something you actually say, okay, because I want that, I'm going to make time for it, which means I have to say no to something else so that I can give my yes there. And just be super careful about where you spend your yes, because every time you spend a yes, whether you realize it or not, you're spending no's in other places. And you don't always know what that no is going to be when you give that yes. So make sure that you're being as intentional with your time as possible and not feeling this urgency to constantly have to be connected to everything, but to actually just be okay sometimes. Like, like maybe just putting your phone down somewhere and not having the ringer on and giving your attention to the things that really need your attention, to the ones that really need your attention, to the one who really deserves your attention as well. Um, all right, well, that was free. Um, we'll get to the message now. Um, but really, though, seriously, it's like, man, if, if, there's, if there's something that you feel like is important, like you have to actually say, okay, this is important enough for me to make sure that I make the time for it. And otherwise, you'll be 10 years later still saying, I know I should, but nothing's changed. Um, and, but here's the crazy thing is once you actually start doing it, you realize, like, you're not missing anything. Like, you don't even realize what you've given up to make time for something that's important because it wasn't as important as what you're gaining by, by giving that time up. Like, you don't find yourself sitting around going, oh, because I said yes to doing this, now I can't say yes to that. You have so much time waster throughout the day, so much filler space that's given to things that are trivial. I promise if you start giving some of that time to things that are important, you will never, ever miss it, ever. I'm discovering that in so many different areas right now. It's like, man, I don't even know what I took the time from. I just know that I found the time, and I don't miss wherever I took it from. Um, and maybe that's just for me, um, but there's probably at least one person in this room who can, who can identify with that. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Joel chapter 3. Uh, this is kind of the second part of, of a message I preached um, two weeks ago where we were talking about Jesus going out into the wilderness and being tempted by the enemy. And, um, and then I was going to preach the rest of it last week, but I really felt like Wayman had some... I'm, I'm glad we, we got him preached. I think he would have exploded if we did it. <laughs> like, that was double-barrel Wayman last week <laughs> in the best possible way. Um, they're having an amazing time right down, now down in Honduras. Um, and so thank you guys for praying for him and praying for the people that are down there right now, bringing the gospel to the people of Honduras. Um, but we, we, we started talking about, and I got a little bit derailed on something else as I was reading it, but we were talking about how Jesus was brought out into the, into the wilderness, and, and he's out there for 40 days, and it says that 
he began to feel hungry. And when he began to feel hungry, the enemy came to tempt him. And we talked about how like on day 39, when he didn't feel hungry, the enemy didn't come and say, turn these stones into bread. Because there was nothing that was in Jesus in that moment that would have made turning those stones into bread attractive. So the enemy waits until he's feeling something that makes the thing that he's offering there's something that, that now there's an attraction now. Now there's a, there's a pull there that wasn't there on day 38 when he wasn't feeling hungry. And it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that so many times when we get a feeling, then suddenly the enemy comes and tries to move and tries to attack in that place where we're feeling something. That's why it's so important. Like, like we're not saying like feelings are bad things. What we're saying is like they're horrible masters. If you live by your feelings, it makes a horrible master because, I mean, you know, we use this example all the time, but like your feelings can so easily lie to you and feel so real. Like when you watch that movie that you knew was fake, like you sat down to watch the movie, you knew it was fake, you knew that you weren't sitting down to watch a screen that was showing you what was really happening in someone's life at that moment, and yet you felt all the emotion that watching that story would bring up as though it were true. I mean, to the point where you had a physical response to it at times and actually cried to something you know isn't true. So how much more than if things are being presented as truth could we be tempted to respond to them. And so that's why we have to make sure that, A, we know the truth, and B, that we're not living according to feeling. And so he comes when Jesus, it says he began to feel hungry, then the enemy came to him, if you are the son of God. And obviously the first thing he's trying to do is is to get him to doubt that you really are who God says that you are. Because right before this, 40 days prior, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens open, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him like a dove, and the voice thunders from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The very next voice he hears is not the voice of the Father reaffirming the word that he gave him. It's the voice of the enemy coming to get him to doubt the word that was spoken over him. And so he says, if you are the son of God then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus doesn't respond according to his feeling of hunger. He responds according to the word that God has already spoke. And he says, A, I don't have anything to prove. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, you, you, you don't have anything to prove. Like, if, if, if God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, like, what more does he have to prove? And why does he care whether or not the enemy believes that he really is who God says that he is? And I feel like sometimes in our lives, we're tempted to try to do things to prove things. And, and I'm not saying that we never do things. I'm saying that our goal shouldn't be to prove something. What we do should prove our life. And so he comes to Jesus and says, if you really are who God says you are, then do this. And, and basically what he's saying is, listen, if you're really the son of God, then, then do something to make the feeling that you have go away right now. And he doesn't understand. Jesus is out there fasting, not because he just thought it would be cool to fast. 
It says he was led by the Spirit there, meaning what? That I can't do something for convenience that goes against what God has called me to. And, and there's so many times in our lives that we're tempted by that stuff, right? It's like the enemy's coming to him. Almost, you can almost hear what he's saying to Jesus. It's like, hey, if you're really the son of God, you don't need to sit here and feel hungry. You could just turn these stones into bread and you, then instantly the hunger's gone. Like, why, if you're the son of God, and, and, and we feel this at times, like when we experience things in our lives, it's like, well, if I really am who God says, then how come? And so Jesus answers him and says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. He's saying, listen, you don't understand. My life right now is not a result of happenstance. I'm not here hungry just because, coincidentally. I'm actually here because I'm living by what my Father has said about me and what my Father has said to me. So that bread doesn't have any attraction to me because right now I'm in a time where my Father's called me to not eat. There was a time where Jesus would take bread and multiply it. Was it wrong when he multiplied the bread? No, because that's what his father was calling him to do in that season. And that's why we have to make sure that we're aware of what God is asking of us, not just one day, but every day. Otherwise, you could be fasting when he's telling you to, turn bre- to multiply food, or you could be multiplying food when he's called you to a season of fasting. And it's also why we have to be careful about judging the season that other people are in. Because he may have called you to a season of fasting, he may have called them to a season of feasting, and you could look at them and say, well, why are they eating so much when God's asked me to do this? And they could look at you and say, why are they not feasting when God's called me to do this? And it's like, man, because every single person is walking with the Father, and he's speaking different things to different people at different times. And we get in trouble when we think that the thing he said to me is the thing he said to everybody. There are some general things that he's saying to everybody that that he's not going to call you to violate. And if it violates his word, then obviously it's not the Lord that's called you to that. But I am saying that like, outside of the, the, the biblical truths that are true universally for everybody, there are seasonal things that he calls one person to, that he calls one family to, that he calls one group to that are different than the season he's called other people to. And we have to be careful not to judge everyone else's season by the season he's called us to. Otherwise, we become the standard And now if you're not doing what I'm doing, it's not right. It's fine to have things in our lives that we've put in place because we feel like the Lord has called us to to live by. You can put rules in place in your life and say, I won't do this because if I never do this, I'll never do that. That's all well and good. But if you see someone else doing the thing that you said you would never do, when we start judging them based on their ability to keep our conviction, that's that's when we get in trouble. That's when legalism comes in and says, well... Every single person has to live by the conviction that I have. Rather than saying every single person has to live by the words that are proceeded from the mouth of the Father. And so we talked about that and we talked about just knowing the word. And I want to just jump in here. I don't have like a super polished thing. I just have a, a knowing that there's something in here he has for us. But in Joel, because here's the thing. There's going to be so many times in your life where you know that you've heard the Lord say something but what you see when you look around is so completely different than what the Lord has said to you. And, and that's, I believe, honestly, like that's why it says that without faith it's impossible to please him is because in those moments it literally takes faith to live by the word that God said to you because there's nothing that you see in the natural that makes you think that what you felt like you heard the Lord say is true. 
So the Lord says something to you or the Lord encourages you or you read something in the word and you feel like God is saying this is for you and yet when you look around in the natural, you can't even fathom a way that it could happen. When that happens, it's an invitation by the Lord to live by faith because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So obviously when we live by faith, he must be pleased with our life. And here's a spoiler, he really wants to be pleased by your life. Like he's not in heaven going, well, I guess if they figure it out, I'll be pleased. No, he told us exactly what it takes to please him, and then he gives us opportunities to step into that. And so um, in Joel chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive. I thank you, God, that as we read from it, as we study it, as we speak from it, that you speak, God. That we would become more like Jesus by what we learn, by your word, by what we see in your word, God, that, that you would continually transform our lives. And so, Father, as I speak today, I pray that you would speak through me. God, that, that, that it wouldn't be something that I think is a good idea. Father, that it would be your spirit speaking through me and that we would hear what you have to say. Through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So here God is asking the prophet to go to the people and say, it's time to raise an army for battle. And he said, the first thing he says is, rouse the mighty men and let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. And so when, when, when they would have heard this, there would have been people who would have responded to that because they were either, in their own minds, mighty men, or they were soldiers. And so those people would have automatically responded to it. And, and I feel like a lot of times when, when, we, when the word of God is preached, when the gospel is preached, when the promises of God are preached, there's certain people that automatically latch on to that stuff, they qualify themselves for it, they see themselves that way, and they think, he's talking to me. But I think that there's a lot more people that when they hear stuff like this, they disqualify themselves and think, that's not me. And, 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 it, so, and I know that the Lord knows this. So he says, let draw, gather the soldiers and rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. And it's almost like when, the, when he has the prophet say that, there's this realization God has that if I, if I just say that and leave it there, the only people that are going to come are the people that A, think they're soldiers, or B, think that they're mighty. And there's going to be like eight of them standing around looking at each other, wondering where everybody else is. So then he says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak say, I am a mighty man. So it's like God shifts his attention now from those who, when they hear it, automatically say, that's me, he's talking to me. And now he starts to speak to everybody else that would have kept on farming, that would have kept on pruning, and that would have said, I'm too weak to be the one that God is talking to in that moment. And, I, and I, just a side note, as I was thinking about this, I, I love that he says, turn your plowshares into, into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. What's he saying? He's saying, take the thing that you have that you use in your everyday life and let that become a weapon for the kingdom. So he might say today, turn your realtor license into a sword. Turn your teaching degree into a spear. Like, take the thing that he's blessed you to do 
and realize that like that surrendered to him actually becomes a weapon in the kingdom of God. That it's not just for certain people. Like it's not just for a pastor. It's not just for a worship leader. It's not just for the gifted people. Like God is saying, listen, every single person is capable of becoming dangerous to the kingdom of darkness if they realize that the thing that they have in their hand can become a sword. You're not just a farmer. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. You're not just a school teacher. You're not just a carpenter. You're not just any of those things that if you would live your life surrendered to, the, to Jesus and you would see that every day when I go to work, I don't just go to work, but this, this hammer in my hand is actually a sword because it can destroy the kingdom of darkness if I allow my life to not be separated into spiritual and secular, but I realize that like everything that I do, I do as if unto the Lord. And so I'm not just on a job site building something, I'm on a job site building something with the gospel of the kingdom in my heart and in my mouth and the spirit of God living inside of me. So every situation I find myself in, I have what I need for that moment if I'm living yielded to him. And so God looks down at a bunch of farmers and, and, and a few soldiers and a few people that would consider themselves mighty, and he says, all right, it's time to gather an army. It's time for battle. Tell the soldiers and the mighty men to come. Oh, and, and, and to the ones who aren't soldiers who are farmers, I want you guys to realize that I'm calling everybody to this battle. So take the thing that you've been using to plow a field and let it be a weapon for the kingdom. Take the thing you've been using to prune a vineyard and let it become a kingdom a weapon for the kingdom. Oh, and by the way, let those who think that they're weak say that I'm strong. I am a mighty man. I love that he says, call the mighty men. And then it's as if he's looking and saying, and everyone else that's left that doesn't consider themselves a mighty man, I want you to say, I am a mighty man. I want you to realize I'm saying this to everybody. I'm not just saying it to the ones who think that they're mighty. I'm saying it to every single person. And so he says, let the weak say that I am a mighty man. And here, I feel like is where a lot of us come into things where it's like, I know what God is saying, but I look in my life and I see the gap. I I know that God says I am this, but I look at my life and I would say, if I'm being honest, I'm not that, I'm this. I know that he says that I'm above and not beneath, but honestly, right now, I feel like a lot of my life, I'm beneath. I know that he says that in all these things, I'm more than a conqueror, but if I'm being honest, I feel like I've been conquered a whole lot more than I'm conquering. I know that he says that I'm blessed in the field and blessed in the city, but right now, every time I go into the field, I feel anything but blessed. And, and, and so the weak would have had this moment where it's like they can hear what the Lord is saying and they, ha- they can re- choose to respond, but it's not just by saying I am a mighty man. There, there, too many times I think that what's happened is we've said that if I just say it over and over enough, then it will become true. And, and there's nothing to that. Like you can stand there all day long thinking that like if I just say I'm a mighty man, it will actually make me become a mighty man. There's nothing to that. You could stand in the field and say, I'm a mighty man all day long. It won't change anything. It has to be a deeper, and this is the part that I really, like, I felt so impressed to get out. 
it has to be a deeper thing where it, it, it says, I don't feel that way. But if God says that, then he must know something that I don't. And so rather than deny what he says and base what I say about myself on what I feel, I'm going to abandon what I feel in this moment and choose to believe what he says about me. So when I open my mouth and say, I am a mighty man, it's not someone who who says, I'm not mighty, but if I say it over and over again, I will. It's not, a, it's not a, a, a think and grow rich kind of thing where I just say something over and over again and then it manifests. It's, it, what he's saying is, I'm saying tell the weak to say that they're a mighty man. So when they hear this from the prophet of God, they're hearing God himself say, hey, I know you think that you're weak. I'm telling you, say that you're a mighty man. And they would have had this moment where they realized, wait a minute, God is saying something different about me than I feel about myself and I have this choice. I can choose to believe what he's saying about me in this moment or or I can choose to believe what I feel or what I even see. And, and, and the difference between the two is, do I believe in what I believe or do I believe what God believes about me? And so when he says, tell the weak to say that I am a mighty man, it, it's not like he said, tell the weak to start eating more protein and working out. And, and, and once you've done that long enough and you start to get stronger, then you'll feel like you can say that you're a mighty man. How many people, when you hear that we've become the righteousness of God, hear it and, and know that it's true because it's in the Bible, but think to themselves, like, if I can just live righteously long enough, then I'll get to a place where I actually can say that with conviction rather than realizing the way you get to saying it with conviction is believing it's true. The belief that it's true actually changes the way that you live. And if the way that you believe doesn't change, the way that you live won't change. And so, it's a, and, and so the weak could have a million reasons why they're not strong. I wrote this down. I want to just read it. The weak can come up with a million reasons why they're not strong. To not declare what he spoke over them and to live by circumstance, feeling, and fear rather than by the word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the words that proceed from the mouth of the Father, he's saying, listen, you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you try to live your life based on the natural, the tangible, what you can see what you can feel, what you can touch. You're going to have to, you're going to have times in your life where you're going to have to choose to live by the word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. Because until you actually do that, you'll continue to live in the same place that you've been and it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy because what will happen is the weak will have a million reasons why they're not the mighty man. And because they don't believe that they actually are who God says that they are, their life will reflect that. And because their life reflects that, they'll believe that that's who they really are. And because they believe that that's who they really are, they'll continue to live that way until something changes. Isaiah 54 is another one of these passages. Again, this is the Lord through a prophet telling the people 
what to say and what to do. It says, shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth in a joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Shout for joy, O barren woman. It's like it, God, you realize like when the Lord says, let the weak say I am strong. Like it's not that the Lord looks down and sees people and says, oh, I don't see that they are weak. He's saying, like, I see that right now that they're weak, but there's a greater truth about them that I believe is true. And so I'm going to tell them what I see and who I believe they're going to become rather than speak to who they are right now. So when he's talking to the barren, he doesn't say to the woman who thinks that she's barren. He says, no, like, the truth is right now you're barren. Like, like, like not admitting something doesn't make it less true but we have to understand that maybe there's a greater truth. And so, yes, this is true of me right now, but that's not going to be true of me for the rest of my life. And so he says to, tell, to the barren woman. He doesn't say to the woman who just thinks that she's barren, to the woman who someone told her she's barren, to the woman who's struggling with believing, not believing she's barren. None of those things. It's like he's not weird like that. Like he, it, it, God's not in like a linguistics thing where it's like, oh, you called yourself barren. Now you're not going to be busted. Like, no, he's saying, like, listen. Like, this is the truth about you right now. And if you don't actually believe that that's true about you, then the rest of the promise can't be true for you because he's speaking to someone who's barren. I don't claim that. It's like, it's not about claiming things. It's saying like, yeah, right now, that's true about me. So I'm really excited because now there's a greater truth. That's not going to define me. And so he says to the barren woman, shout for joy. He says, shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. Why is he telling them to be joyful and shout and cry aloud? Because they have children? No. Because they feel pregnant? Probably not. Because they can point to a growing belly and say, this is the reason that I'm shouting for joy. No. It's because God came to where they were and spoke to them and said, right now, this is true. But I know something that you don't. And if you believe me, if you believe the promise I'm about to give you about the number of your children, it will change the way that you live today before you actually see anything change in the natural. If we really believed what God said about us, it would cause joy to well up in us it would cause excitement to well up in us, and it would cause expectation to well up in us, and we would live differently from the moment we heard him speak because now I know something that I didn't know before he spoke, and it changes my perspective as I look forward. I'm no longer looking at life and wondering, what am I going to do with no children? Now I have different things that I think about when I look at the future because I have a promise of the Lord. So rather than wondering, what am I going to do without children, my thought becomes, what am I going to do because I don't have enough room in this house for the children that God has promised me are going to come. Like my whole perspective has to change if I believe what he says about me. 
if I believe the promise. Like, and the first response is, the joy that I'll feel the day that child is born, I start to feel now because I believe him. So I believe that day is coming. So I don't wait to see it before I actually believe it and live as though it's true. So like for people that are struggling with addiction and they hear the gospel, like if they really believe what God says about the fact that they can be set free, there should be a joy that comes, even if in that moment they still feel addicted. Why? Because they know something now that they didn't know before, and if I actually believe that, I'm not going to wait until it's been 10 years to then look back and say, I guess he was telling the truth. Now I'll let myself be excited. I'm going to live now in the joy of the promise so that when the promise comes to pass, I don't have years of regret that I look back on and say, I wish I would have known then what I know now. No, you knew then. You just didn't see it then. And the, the, the problem with that is this, is that we can't go back and relive those days. So when he says to the, to the woman who's barren, cry aloud and shout for joy. How many of you know that when she's outside praising God or even inside her house praising God or wherever she is shouting for joy and people come to her and say, why are you so happy? And she says, because of all my children. I mean, literally, people are going to be like, okay. She doesn't have a child. I mean, as far as we can tell, she's not even pregnant. And she's been barren, maybe for a long time. And maybe she's been even labeled by that barrenness. Maybe she's identified by that barrenness. A lot of times we identify ourselves by the dysfunction. Not just other people, but we begin to identify ourselves by the dysfunction that we've been through or that we're living in. And it becomes who we are. So I, I just want you to think about this for a second. Just like take it out of the Bible's context because sometimes we read things in the Bible and it's like, oh yeah, that's a great theory, a great idea. We don't realize like the Lord was actually saying this and a woman would have heard this and responded as though it was true. Like, yes, he's talking about a nation that's going to birth a nation. Yes, he's talking about bringing forth like, like that, that, the, that the kingdom of God and the sons and daughters of God would be more multiple than the sons and daughters of, of destruction. Yes, he's talking about that. But in this moment, when they're hearing the prophet say this, like this is something that a woman who didn't have children would have grabbed onto and been like, I have a promise from God now. And so there's this woman who's never had any children, who everybody knows is barren, who everybody feels bad for, and everybody's wondering, what's she going to do? Because in those days, when you got older, it was your family that took care of you. It was your children that took care of you. And if you didn't have any children, it was like a shameful thing. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, no, she's, she, she doesn't have any children. It was like, she doesn't have any children. And as years went on, it got worse and worse. Because statistically, there's less chance of you having a child every year that goes by. And all of a sudden, some people are walking, and they go by her tent, and they hear her in there freaking out, thanking God. It says, praising and shouting with joy. And they're like, what's going on? Say, so walk over to the tent. You decent? 
she doesn't even hear them. They're like, yeah, we'll take a chance. You know, one of the women lifts the tent first. Yeah, she's got her clothes on. Everything's good. They go in, and here she is just shouting with joy and rejoicing. And they ask her, why are you doing this? And she says, because of all the children that I'm going to have. And people are looking around going, but you're barren. No, I was. But then he spoke. And I'm choosing to believe what he said over what I've known or even what I see right now in this moment. Because two women could have heard the exact same thing and one actually believed it and lived as though it's true. And the other discounted themselves, didn't believe it. And both of them would live in the reality that they believed. Because the Bible says that the children of Israel had the same gospel preached to them. But it profited them nothing because they didn't combine faith with the hearing of the word. And so I, I just, I feel like we live in a time right now where if you turn on the news, turn on the radio, all you hear is destruction. All you hear is negative. All you hear is how bad things are getting. And it doesn't matter which side of the political aisle you're on, whether you're on the right one or the wrong one. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying sometimes, you know, on, depending on the situation, like there's always a right. Like don't be ashamed of believing that like some things are just right and some things are just wrong. It's okay to say like, I, I, look, I understand how you feel, but this is what God said. Well, stop judging me. I'm not judge. I don't even dare to do that. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what the judge said. Like, I didn't sit around and deliberate this stuff and come up with this verdict on my own. He spoke. I'm not judging you at all. I'm telling you what the judge said. If you feel judged by that, then you go get alone and ask why someone simply telling you what the Bible says makes you feel judged or condemned or attacked. Because the Word of God is a sword. And if it's cutting something, it's because it's not supposed to be there not because he wants to make you worse it's because he wants to make you better he's not cutting things off so that you're left empty he's cutting things off because they don't belong there like, don't be afraid of that just make sure you're doing it out of love make sure that you're not using the word of God as a hammer that you're using it as a sword because you can, you can crush people with the word if it's not swung in love but when it's used in love, it's actually a sword that divides what is and what's not supposed to be. But no matter which side of the, an angel got its wings. <laughs> Felt appropriate, it's Christmas. So Hebrews 6.16, I just wanna, if you would just stand where you are real quick and I just wanna bless us with the word. Like, this is the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says this. 
For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The hope that anchors our soul is this, that we have promises given by God and that he cannot lie. I feel like it's time to get back to believing the best is going to happen. I feel like it's time to start anchoring ourselves, not in the bread of the natural, but in what has proceeded from the mouth of God. To not look at our circumstances in the natural and say, I'm barren, but to say, no, right now, this may be who I, what I'm, how I'm living, but I, God has spoke, and I know that what he said is more real than what I'm feeling in this moment, what I'm experiencing, what I've experienced up to this point. Like, God can change things in an instant. And it doesn't, you don't have to live 10 years to finally believe it and then say, I guess he was telling the truth. It's like, no, like get your hopes up and actually believe what he said is true now and then live as though what he said is true because when what he said comes to pass and it will come to pass, you can't then go back and relive those days that you sacrificed to unbelief and doubt and worry and, and living as though it wasn't true. So start to live as though it's true now. How would you respond if you really believed what he said about you was true? According to the word, the response is to be filled with joy, to shout, to live differently because you've heard him speak even though you haven't seen it, even though there's nothing you can point to to prove it, because you believe that what he said is more real than what you've seen, what you've felt, or what you've known. And I think the reason he gives us those promises is because he doesn't want us to live our lives only living from experience to experience in the joy of the experience, but he actually wants us to live our lives in the joy of knowing that the experience is coming at some point, and I'm not gonna wait till I experience it to feel the joy of the promise. Because there's no wasted days. Like this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not in that day. Like, I'm not putting off my rejoicing and being glad for that day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad today because I believe his promise today. And when it comes to pass, I'll rejoice and be glad in that day. But I'm not going to wait for that day to actually let the joy of the promise invade my life, for the hope of the promise to invade my life. That's why we can live as people who have hope and have great joy. Even when, when we look around, what we see doesn't line up with what he said. Because we be- listen, I, I honestly believe this. Like, like, as much as God calls us to live that way, he lives that way towards us. 
because it says that even when we're faithless, he's faithful. So like no matter, you might have said, I'm going to do this a hundred times and not done it. Like the Lord is not looking at the hundred times you said it and didn't do it. He sees you and sees the day that it actually changes and you begin to live the way that you know that you're called to live. And so he lives his heart towards you according to that person, not according to the person that today messed it up again. Because he wouldn't call us to live that way if he doesn't live that way towards us. And he's faithful even when we're faithless. So Father, I just pray that, that we would be people who would believe your promises over our lives. God, that we wouldn't be the people that say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. God, but we would be people that understand that oftentimes I have to believe it before I'll see it. Father, I'm asking that we would say what you say about us, not in a mindless repetition of words hoping that it changes something, but because we've heard you speak and we choose to believe you. So when we say it, God, it's a response from what we believe, not hoping that if we say it enough, maybe one day I'll believe it. I pray that the weak would say that they are mighty. I pray, God, that we would take the thing that's in our hand and let it be a weapon for the kingdom. I pray that we would see ourselves not as bystanders, but that you're calling everyone to battle. God, that we wouldn't see the, the, the position we have in life as an obstacle to being used by the kingdom, but we would see that we're actually in that place because you want to use us for the kingdom, because we have influence where other people don't, because we bring light to a place that's really dark. that the position you've given us in life, the, the social standing you've given us, the friends that you've placed around us, the neighborhood you've placed us in, the, the, the activities that we're involved in, the hobbies, the desires that we have in our heart, the giftings that you've given us, the skills that you've given us, God, that those aren't obstacles to bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, but you actually want to use every one of those things to bring heaven to earth right where we are. That everyone's being called to the battle. In Jesus' name, amen.